Gabriel Stelion Shanks. I'm the Artistic Director of the Drama League, and welcome to In Conversation. This is our digital video and podcast series where we sit down with some of the most influential directors working in the American theater. If you want to see more, you can visit dramaleague.org and click on digital series for our video episodes, or if you listen to podcasts, just search for the Drama League wherever you find your podcasts. <clears throat> Uh, we are recording this in the early days of May 2020, uh, right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I am very happy to say that all the artists who are working with us in this series are donating their time and their talent and their energy to help us raise money for the Director's Emergency Relief Fund, which supports directors affected by COVID-19 and their families, as well as all of our artist support services. So if you would like to join us in that effort, uh, please click on dramaleague.org and visit the Ghost Light campaign. Or uh, if you are a director and you are being affected, check out our COVID-19 resource page. We have tons of resources there, grants, opportunities, all sorts of information on how you can get through this very difficult time. I am very excited today to talk with our guest, Liliana Blaine Cruz, who I think is one of the most influential directors working in our field today. Her productions, many of them are iconic and not only in their importance to the field, but they live in my memory much longer than many shows I see. Uh, when I think of uh, the death of the last black man at Signature or the House That Will Not Stand at New York Theatre Workshop. These are works that are ingrained with me and will stay with me in the way that great art always does. So I'm really excited to welcome Obie Award winner, Liliana Blaine Cruz. Hi, Liliana. How you Hello, doing? Hello, thank you. What a lovely introduction on this dreary day. It's so <laughs> welcoming. Thank you. Thank you. I'm every word. Um, let me start with the question we're all asking. How are you? How is how is your pandemic going? Are you safe? Are you sheltered? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am thankfully safe. I thankfully have food in my fridge. I thankfully have a moderate supply of toilet paper. Um, I am <laughs> grateful um, that my family's okay. I had some, I had some scares, you know, and it's it's a particularly intense moment for that. And so I'm grateful that that most of us are doing just fine. Um, and I'm and and it's been going by really strangely I feel like time like we've entered into a time warp in some ways like one minute you're like this day has been six years and then the next day you're like it's May how is it May where did April go um so yeah that's been interesting to experience great I'm so glad you're safe and I'm really excited to talk to you about your work because the drama league does a lot of work with early and mid-career directors and uh your name comes up so often in the conversations with other artists, other directors who want to know how does she do the things she do that she does on stage. So I'm really curious to talk to you about your work. Um, how do I want to phrase this? I think your work, it's sheer variety dazzles me. You know, when I think of Anatomy of a Suicide, which I saw right before the pandemic at Atlantic, when I think about, as I said, the death of the last black man, which just stays inside me so much. Um, and the house that will not stand, which is just such a beautiful, sumptuous piece. Um, they're all so different. Um, 
you also do things like Fethel and her friends. You do classics. I know that you've done opera. You've done such wide, um, not only genres, but inside those genres, you really stretch. How do you pick the works that you do? How do they come to you? And how do you find a thread that makes you say, this is something I want to uh, direct? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, and I think it's funny, some of the, the things that we were mentioning that we were gonna talk about in this conversation was thinking about like, when you're beginning your career, like what do you envision? <laughs> you know what I mean? When you're thinking about like what you wanna do. And I realized that I was like, okay, I love all of these things. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like Shakespeare. I like new plays. I like operas. I like scale. I like things that are really gnarly to wrestle with. I loved going to see experimental shows in downtown in basements. You know what I mean? And the, and the collision of forms in that way. And so when I think about um, shows that I'm attracted to or plays that really excite me, I think they are precisely that. They require a certain kind of wrestling. They require a certain kind of rigor in, in finding a way to bring it onto the stage. And that they also offer an invitation for a director in some ways to kind of figure out how the world is going to be manifested. Because for me, that brings a lot of joy. So for example, with Fethu and her friends, it was always it was always a play that had kind of circulated in my consciousness. Maria Irene Fornes is like one of those tremendous artists whose work I felt like everybody knew, but they'd never been seen before. And the the technical challenge of it and the and the 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 challenge of its language, like who are these people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Was always deeply interesting to me. Like the 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 deep dives into the work are really exciting. And and thinking about artists like Alice Birch and Anatomy of a Suicide she's somebody, or even Jackie Sibley's Drury with Mary Seacole, there are folks who are interested in, in the experimentation of form and content, right? And so with Alice, Anatomy of a Suicide, as you're watching like three different, you know, generations of women encounter what it means to have a shared history, watching that manifest simultaneously on stage was a tremendous technical and physical challenge that I was really um, thrilled to experiment with. And in terms of finding the thread, I think, I think that there's something about being endlessly curious about what theater can do is, is, is always um, a kind of thread for me. And also it's necessity as theater, <laughs> you know what I mean? That it has to be done on the stage um, is really important. And, and also really just thinking about fundamentally whose stories are, are being told and how are they being told and why are they or are they not being told in particular ways and in ways in which, like for example, with Susan Murray Park, The Death of the Last Black Man, how do you, how do you explore the, 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 the idea of repeated deaths? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very visceral. And so often at the theater, we go to see really great plays that maybe are happening on a couch you know, um, or really amazing physical designed worlds or, or, or muscular productions that maybe don't highlight the text. And you seem to have this magical way of making both those things live in a moment together. Um, and then I think, well, how does she do that? You know, is that part of your preparation? Do you plan that? Or is that something you discover in the room? How do you, how do you wrestle? Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. How do you wrestle? I mean, I think that there's, I think in some ways, 
there's the personal wrestling, right? Which means spending a lot of time with the text, like reading it over and over again. I remember the first time I read The Death of the Last Black Man in the whole entire world. Talk about an intimidating text to read. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> um, and, you know, and I was lucky because I had great mentors. Like I, I realized that I'd had a long history with that text, right? I had, I had, performed in a like segment of it when I was in college and I had no idea what was going on. And I was like voice on the TV saying things that I didn't understand. And then I went to grad school and I had the wonderful um, guidance of Liz Diamond who offered a way into the deep analysis of like you, to find our, our narrative drift, right? Even in the most dense material, us as humans look for ways to make story, right? Look for ways to make connection. And that was true even in the seemingly dense, disconnected panel, you know what I mean, segmented piece. There's a connection between Black man and Black woman. And tracking that story becomes the deep wrestling for me individually. And then I work with the designers, which is like, how do you make the most alive space, which for me is like the, the question of um, why does it need to be in space? What is the central core event? I, I guess I myself am a physical person, as you will see. So like for me, understanding the text is also embodying it, right? Like the, I learned the most from hearing Susan Laurie Parks read her play out loud about the, the physical, like it requires a physical action in your body. You know what I mean? There's a part that's like literally like a like literally you're like getting at the feeling of choking. And that for me gives so much information, right? Um, so I think as a director, I also prepare myself by reading things out loud. Like how does it feel in my body? What do the sounds do? You know what I mean? And, and how do I learn from that in, in terms of exploring with the actors? And then, I don't know, I think all of these things are important. I think sometimes like you're saying, when you watch a show and you're like, wow, that design was really beautiful or wow, those actors were amazing. Like for me, all of those things have to be one can't take priority over the other, you know? And it's like, how do you create a rigor that's just as true for your, for your design team, for your producer, for, your, for, for the text, for yourself, so that everybody is operating at full tilt? <laughs> because that, for me, is the most charged and exciting space to be in when you feel all of this happening simultaneously. Yeah. It also sounds like a really experimental space, that, yeah. that, that your room is very alive, that, that and... Yeah. Uh, are you trying things and discarding things or, or do you hone how, or does it change for you? I feel like I set up a, I set up the boundaries or the perimeters or the landscape on which something can be made that we can play inside of. And then I give myself a lot of freedom in the room with a company of actors to discover then how we play inside of that. You know, I think playfulness is really important. Openness to discovery is really important, but I think it's easier to play and to explore when there are very clear boundaries, because I think sometimes when there aren't, when there aren't limitations, it can create a space of fear. You know what I mean? When you're like, I don't know where this is going. I don't know where this is leading to. You, you're like, I can play for days, but what, what's, what's at the core of it, you know? And so I've learned, you know, with my, with my, my team, like to create like central core moments that I know are important and integral to the story and into the event itself. And then with the company, we find ways at arriving at that and what that means and how that shifts and how that forms. And that I think creates a space of structure and chaos that work well together. Yeah. Great. Um, I want to go to a question that was submitted to me for you. Um, yeah. People are very, and, and 
for people who are watching or listening, we are taking questions for our social media for all of the directors. You can see what's coming up. Please do so. So, I, I, but I thought this was a great question, and it's in the same wheelhouse of what we're talking about. Um, many of the playwrights you've directed, and we, we've talked about some of them, um, Gardley, Birch, um, are distinguished by their great command of language. Um, but in your productions of these plays, your actors are always so vibrantly alive inside the text. Um, and the question is, could you tell us some tools that you use in the rehearsal room to keep actors playing action inside vibrant language or poetic language? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel, well, one, I am not afraid of repetition. <laughs> I love repetition because I think in some ways, okay, so I'm a terrible piano player, never really had the gift for it. But the thing that I learned in like doing that over and over and over again is that in repetition, you, became, you become dexterous. In repetition, you become comfortable. In repetition, then you become, you have the freedom to play, right? And so when you're dealing with really particularly dense language, it's like if you just breeze over it, then you're, you might get the surface level, but you don't, it's not able to kind of get inside of you. And so I encourage a lot of repetition because in some ways that's how you, that's how you start to feel ownership and comfort in it. And then you can start to play. In addition to doing like the deep text work and the, and the um, table work and analysis that you do at the beginning, that, that can all live up in here, right? But it's like, how do you get it into the body? You get it into the body through through that repetition and through that repetition then exploration and playfulness and the ability to try different things. Yeah. Um, how does work come to you? Do you, do you, I mean, I must guess you get offered a number of projects, probably you can't do everything you want to do. Yeah. So when they come to you, how do you, how do you look at them? How do you decide? And then how, how do you prepare before you get to this stage? How do you walk in the room with that, huge amount of material you're talking about to sort of bring to the all your collaborators. Yeah, so things have changed over the years, thankfully, before it was like, give me projects, I'll do anything, I'll do anything. Um, and I was lucky, you know, to be paired with great collaborators. Um, but I do think that sense of openness and curiosity is helpful when you're first starting out. Now that I've luckily been able to um, to, to do more work, I think people understand the work that I'm attracted to. And so that leads to certain projects being um, um, presented to me. Um, I, I think I work well when there's a combination of me pitching things that I'm excited about and have been curious about and, and receiving new plays or like being in dialogue with artists that I think are really exciting. So I've always been an admirer of Jackie Sibley's jewelry. Um, and so like I've seen a lot of her work and I've been invested in that. And so then when she was working on, and she had in turn seen mine. And so when, you know, Mary Seacole came along, that was, it felt like a natural gravitation and connection. Something like Fefu and her friends was something that I've been pitching for years. And everybody's like, oh yes, Fonez, she's great. Silence. <laughs> oh, wow. Because nobody really knows how to produce it. Everybody, everybody agrees that her work is incredible, but there's a, there's a certain reservation about its accessibility, its uh, the ability to produce it. And so that's been a kind of a long, a long journey of convincing folks, you know what I mean? That this is the particular moment um, 
and time to do her work. Um, and so I, I think I, I'm excited by that combination of receiving new things and pitching things that have been deep, um, deeply embedded <laughs> in yeah. my soul. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how anybody could have seen your production of Sefawet Theater for a new audience and not realized how it can live for audiences. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we see more of Fornes in the future because you, you and the team there said, look, it can be done and audiences will come and really be filled by it. I really um, hope so too. That's great. Well, I mean, we're talking about great artists and you mentioned that you're inspired by them. Who, um, let's do some like pandemic related dream visioning, like, like who, <laughs> Who are some of your dream collaborators that you haven't worked with yet? Who are you? Who would you love to work with? Well, Rihanna's fantastic. I know she's working on her new album. We're all excited for it to come out when it does. But I'd love to work with her. Drop, drop <laughs> the album, Rihanna. Drop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> drop the album and let's make something together. Um, and then, I mean, I'm a big fan of Alicia Harris. Is God is was the was a an amazing uh, production and what to send up is really exciting. Um, and I think her command of language is really incredible. Um, Whitney White is a director who I'm really excited about, but she also does music and she's, you know, super dynamic and the worlds that she creates are really exciting. So collaborating with her would be really um, amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to collaborate. I did one project with Mimi Lien, who's a, an incredible designer who, um, has done so much, but I, we did war together with Brandon Jacob Jenkins, but since then she's, you know, disappeared into the ether. And I've been like, Mimi, let's work together again. Let's make crazy dazzling worlds together. Um, so yeah, yeah, these are artists that I, that I love and admire, love to work with, yeah. Excellent. Do you have, um, I mean, this is a weird question to ask for you because you do so many things. Are there, are there plays or musicals or operas or, or things that you haven't tried yet that you have on your bucket list? Like, bef before I shuffle off to this mortal coil, I'm gonna do these. Yeah, I mean, so Adrienne Kennedy is another huge influence for me. And I think she's, you know, had such a profound impact on the theatrical landscape. And a lot of folks still don't necessarily know her except occasionally. And I did a, I did a small production of Funny House of a Negro, but she'd always described that as potentially being really amazing as an opera. And when I think about that, I was like, yeah, that's something that could take the one act form and expand it in a way that would be really tremendous and exciting. So working on something like that would be a dream. I have a weird musical fantasy that I've always wondered about that nobody's ever picked up on because it gets done so often. But I think I would do a great Jesus Christ superstar for so many reasons. So <laughs> oh, what, do you, what do you want to do with it? I mean, so the thing that's complicated, which I haven't watched the TV production. Guys, I'm treating this like a safe space. So like, trust yeah, me when yeah. I share that these are personal things from my soul. <laughs> I, I, I've always, um, I've always, I, I always felt like the political of it um, and inside of it could be even further, you know, wrestled with in some ways. And I, and I, I've always wanted to find a way to kind of aestheticize it in a way so that it doesn't find itself in kind of the cheesy territory, if that makes right. sense. And I was like, if this, if this actually like 
lived inside of some of the grit that's possible inside of this as as this guy as a an actual rebel who was hanging out with the people that everybody said is not worth hanging out with you know and watching the kind of commercialization of somebody's image which feels like really like complicated right now in this particular moment as people get branded and what that means like finding a way to kind of like investigate that in a deep significant way feels really exciting also i love the character of judas and his voice is amazing and it's just it's just there seems like there's potential to do something really moving and i guess i think about it because i didn't grow up with musicals i didn't i didn't know things you know what i mean about theater but it was the first like album that i had heard with my parents <laughs> you know when i was young and so it has a kind of weird emotional memory for me um about what about what could be possible um, yeah. really All right. So everybody within the sound of this video and podcast, Jesus Christ Superstar, directed by Liliana Blaine Cruz. Let's make that Hey, let's do it on Broadway, shall we, when it reopens? Well, and I also just want to give a shout out for Adrienne Kennedy, because I think she's like Fornance in that proof of concept yes. problem that she had. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. But she's got half a dozen plays that should be happening right now. So many. Um, so and, many. She's and, so you incredible. know, the fact that you have shown that Fornes can live in an off-Broadway production today, yeah. that yep. feels like Adrian Kennedy would be a beautiful next step. I love that. I love that. Um, so, let's see. I wonder if you, um, how do I want to phrase this? You know, as artists, I think we are always learning. We are always, our, uh, the answers are, are less important to us than the questions and, and the journey in some ways. I wonder if there's anything you've identified in your career that you are still learning as an artist. Oh man, there's so many things. Um, it's like we talk about the, the physical, right? Like how, I mean, I, I love movement so much. I love dance so much. And it's one of the things that feel important to my work, but I recognize that I don't always know if I have the tools to get, you know what I mean, folks to even deeper levels. And so I work with collaborators like Raja Feather Kelly, who I think is an amazing choreographer, um, to kind of access that. And in, and in participating with those collaborators, um, or somebody like Marjani Forte Saunders, like you, you discover, it's another form of directing, right? And one of the things that's really beautiful that I actually learned from like a vocal coach was um, the body loves a metaphor. <laughs> and I love that, that it's like deeply stayed with me because I, I've, I've watched other folks basically get people to these very physical, visible places by offering very concrete images, you know? And, and that, that, that dialogue with performers, with your actors, with what does it mean to kind of like create human souls or, or, or pour yourself into human souls is, or stories and situations is, is going to be an ongoing conversation and discovery, you know, that, that, that for me is thrilling because it's the, it's the fundamental one. It's like, how do you communicate to another human being and how together do you create something new, <laughs> create a life, you know, create a situation and do that honestly and as viscerally as possible. I also think that we're in this moment now where we're all questioning like what theater is, you know, and what do we, what do we want it to be and how do we, um, how do we imagine it for the future? Um, and so that's an ongoing question because I think it's, do you have, hopes? To, huh? do you have hopes around that question about 
You know, I, I think I think it's pretty clear that the American theater is going to be changed by this moment. And yeah, so when, when we come back, what are what do you hope it is? I mean, I think, you know, and thinking about, I was talking to a group of directors about this the other day, like there's something about um, this technology that is also creating a level of accessibility that sometimes theater doesn't have in the sense that people can kind of click on things, can click on things when they have time that they have access. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like even like looking at Theater Treffen in Germany, like Berlin, I don't have money to fly to Berlin to see these productions or go to these festivals, but now I can watch them and I have access to a completely different culture and mode of, of oh making God. things. That's really thrilling, you know? Or the fact that like I can watch Rumstick Road on the Wooster Group's website, you know, a production that I'd heard about so many times and now I'm like, oh my God, it's so beautiful and I understand why. You know, like, so thinking about that accessibility and, and I'm wondering how that, or my hope is that that accessibility can, can be continued, that we want that, that we want people to kind of have access to and, and not just technologically, but also just in terms of time and, and space itself. Somebody was describing to me, somebody unrelated to the theater was like, man, this dude was like on a bus and he drove by the neighborhood and he like parked his bus and like did a dance and everybody like looked from their windows as he did this dance on his bus and everybody was just so happy and i was like right like there's something about like street theater there's something about like returning to like unexpected locations like getting literally outside of our boxes of, of ways of thinking and like going out into into different arenas to kind of like experiment and think about there, uh, there's so many possibilities and I, yeah. you know, I have spent, I've been waiting every week the Schaubun in Berlin is putting up a different production, things I never thought I'd get to see. Yeah. Ever. yeah. And now I, I, obviously I haven't been in the house with them, I haven't experienced them in the way they're intended, but just the, the sheer range of what we can experience now yeah. has to be taken into account. It's really That's something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Well, I, we're getting close to being out of time, but I have one question I'm asking all the directors in this series. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about uh, you. If you were able to look back at your former self, that that undergrad who's experiencing Susan Laurie Parks, but doesn't really know what it is or, <laughs> or that point. Mm -hmm. If there's a piece of advice you now could give to your younger self uh, mm -hmm. as a director, what would that piece of advice be? What do you wish you'd known then that you know now? There are so many things I would tell my younger self. Um, so there are, <laughs> so I'll share. Uh, okay, it might be three parts, right? First part, read as much as you can, right? Like this time where you're like, what am I doing? I'm not working enough, but you have time. Use that time to read and to explore and to like fill up your cup as much as possible. Somebody gave me that piece of advice. I saw as much as I could, I read as much as I could, and I didn't realize how deeply that would impact the things that I hold important and dear and true, you know, for myself as a, as a theater maker. Like for example, seeing Romeo Castellucci at Montclair, you know what I mean? Like impacted my idea about like what theater could do visually. And I knew from that point, I was like, yes, I want to aspire to that level of visceralness in the theater. So allow yourself to be inspired and be excited about that inspiration. Two, the thing that I heard from a, from, oh my God, it's like 10 years ago now, going to one of these like talks with directors is um, one, uh, this director was like, look, so you know that feeling of like fear and like 
what am I going to do? And is this for me? And like, how am I going to survive? That question doesn't go away. <laughs> that question doesn't go away ever. Like they've been working for like 20 years and that constant questioning doesn't disappear. It's not like you reach a point and you're like, ha ha, solved theater. I did it. No, it doesn't happen. And so I think like finding a way to embrace that questioning as part of your process, as part of your artistic self is, is a necessary and okay part of the experience. And, and if you embrace that and use that questioning in terms of your art, then that's, that's great. Um, the third part is not to confuse. Okay, so <laughs> secrets time for everybody. When I was working on a production, um, some, Liz Diamond described it as the fear of annihilation, right? Like anytime you put something up, you have this fear that everything that you've made and believe and think of will be crushed <laughs> and judged and you shall never work again. And I, I, I deeply understand that. But at the same time, I think to not let fear crush you, you know, but instead to walk into it in some ways. That's something that, um, what was that book? A director prepares, right? That's the one little piece that I, it, it, just walk into it. It is so deep. It has become like a tenant for me. Like when you see that actor who you're like kind of afraid of and you're like, but they're not getting it and I just need to communicate as opposed to running away and diving into your note. You have to literally put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable, just as vulnerable as the as your collaborators in what you're asking them to do and walk into the terror and hope that on the way, you know what I mean? You can continue to ask the questions or something might arrive there. Um, those are three things that- yeah. I wanna give a shout out to Ann Bogart for having that yes, idea. Yes, Ann Bogart, thank you, thank you. And uh, you've mentioned Liz Diamond twice and I she's a friend of the Drama League. So, hey Liz, I hope you're listening. Um, Liliana, this has been a joy. This is so much fun. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for this. I don't know when you're going to be back on stage. I feel it's weird to ask directors what they have next because nobody knows what's next. But I am pretty confident that I get to sit in your audiences many, many more times thank in the you. future. And I really look forward to it. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.